Radio Influence. Podcasting redefined. Welcome back to the Lawfather Podcast. As usual, we're here in Lawfather headquarters in our studio here. Uh, glad to have you all listening. Those of you who are watching and listening on Instagram Live, welcome. Uh, glad to have you on. And uh, make sure you follow us on all of our social media platforms. And, and I want to start off with something that I saw actually this morning, about two minutes before we started the show. And uh, it's somebody that we've had on before, and I follow his social media some, and uh, we, we talk a little bit. And uh, somebody who I actually like to do a lot more work with, uh, but DJ Eakin, and, and his Instagram post that I saw, like I said, it was about three, four minutes ago now, and it said, be friends in real life. Don't just follow on social media. And, and the full quote is much better than my paraphrasing, okay? Um, but be that as it may, be friends in real life. Go to lunch. Do the things that make people real friends, not just following on social media. Um, look, we we use social media a lot, right? And, and I, look, I try to show a little bit of everything, but you never truly get in anybody's social media, I don't believe, the full picture of the good, the bad, the bad times, the good times, the, you know, you get that picture perfect pristine because you can go back and redo everything on there. All right. So that's that. Now let's get into the show today as to what I want to talk about. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's something that gets lost in the mix here because we're generally talking about legal pieces and legal things. And, uh, you know, we never really started from the groundwork, from the foundation of what this all is and how it all comes about. So what I'd like to do today is talk about what's the courtroom like and what are the different things, as, as I've talked about them in the past, what do they really mean? Okay, so let's start really from the very beginning of how a lawsuit begins, right? And, and so you hear somebody say, oh, I'm going to sue somebody else. Okay, well, suing somebody is the start of a lawsuit, right? How do we start that process? Well, that process is started with what's called a complaint. And it's basically saying that me, it, well, let's take it even a step back. Who are the people that are in a lawsuit, right? We have a plaintiff and a defendant. A plaintiff is somebody who's bringing the lawsuit. The defendant, as the name would imply, is the person who's defending the lawsuit, uh, those of you who uh, may have gone through a divorce or child custody issue, uh, it's generally referred to as the petitioner and the respondent. The petitioner is the one bringing it to the court. They're petitioning the court, okay? The respondent is the one, same as the defendant, they're responding to whatever the petitioner has put out there. So uh, petitioner and plaintiff, are one and the same for all intents and purposes. Defendant and respondent are the same for all intents and purposes. So the plaintiff files a lawsuit. The, the plaintiff drafts a complaint. That's what starts the lawsuit. And it says, this is who I am as the plaintiff. This is who the defendant is. This is where the plaintiff resides. This is where the defendant resides. Why is that important? Because it tells us what court we can be in. Okay, there is a thing called jurisdiction and knowing where the parties reside, tell us where we can bring a lawsuit because for certain lawsuits, you can only bring it in the location that the defendant resides. 
So if you have a defendant, for example, that is in Pinellas County and a plaintiff that's in Hillsborough County, if it's the type of lawsuit that follows that you have to go where the defendant is, then you have to file that lawsuit in Pinellas County. All right. Now, the next thing down is the amount, and it's what's called the jurisdictional amount. And it what t- it's what tells us what court we're in. So we have small claims court, we have county court, and we have circuit court. All right. And they all have dollar amounts that you need to be in to hit that. So we work mostly in circuit court, and that's dollar amounts, $30,000 and above. Okay. So that's what that is. That That's how we figure out what court. Now, if we go back to talking about the location in terms of the physical, what county we are in, because we primarily at my firm handle car crash cases, there's a statute that says that the jurisdiction, the location that you file the lawsuit in a car crash case is in the county that it occurred. So we don't care where the defendant resides. We don't care where the plaintiff resides. We just look at where the crash happened. Now, could you possibly pull it out of there, right? So let's say, for example, uh, you have a crash that occurs in Miami-Dade County and the plaintiff lives in uh, Hillsborough County. Could you possibly pull it into Hillsborough County? Possibly, okay? Uh, Sometimes you're able to do that if all of your witnesses are in a certain area, Um, Hey, you can pretty much do whatever you want as long as the defense doesn't raise an objection to it, okay? Uh, And I say that within reason. You can't just willy-nilly break the rules. (laughs) That would uh, fall in the bad category. But uh, things like jurisdiction, you can try some things, and as long as there's no no issue from the defense, sometimes those things just kind of roll their way through without issue, okay? So we have that now... As we move through the process, we have the discovery process, and that is our evidence gathering. All right, so there's what's called written discovery, and um, then we have depositions and things like that where it's more oral, where we have a court reporter and we're asking somebody questions live, they're under oath, uh, perjury can be invoked, those type of things. All right, they, uh, uh, witnesses can be impeached. All right, your written discovery is your request for interrogatories. Basically, it's just a list of written questions, a request for admissions. We, as a plaintiff, are trying to get the defendant to admit to something, just as what it says. I mean, we, we don't try to hide the ball here, right, and what these things are titled. They pretty much say what they are. Uh, then you have requests to produce. Just like it says, it's we want documents. We want you to produce documents to us, all right? That then moves us in. Here in Hillsborough County, we have a prerequisite that – We have to mediate everything before we actually go to trial. So then you have mediation. Mediation is you have a a neutral third party, and they try to help you resolve the case. But hey, they they don't make any determinations as to who's right, who's wrong. They just try to get the sides to meet in the middle. Uh, One of the common sayings is if uh, a winning mediation is if both sides, uh, you know, feel like they lost something along those lines. I don't necessarily really buy into that, right? I mean, you can win at mediation. You can get a result that that you felt was far better than what you should have had or anything else. So um, I think you can win in mediation. And uh, say mediation doesn't work and all attempts to resolve haven't worked, we move into the trial process and the trial phase and setting trial. So what, what I want to get into is what is court like? 
right? So all of that kind of background history takes us to what's the inside of a courtroom like? All right. Now I can tell you there's personal injury attorneys out there who have never seen the inside of a courtroom. Um, and there are, are guys who do guys and girls who do tons of trials. Okay. Uh, and I think, uh, we at this firm and, and me personally falls somewhere in between that. Uh, to me, going to trial is a means of last resort, right? Uh, because there are so many unknowns when you're dealing with a trial. I, I could take the same set of facts to five different juries and get five different results, right? It, it, ranging from a jury giving a zero verdict to, you know, multi-million dollar. I mean, you could legitimately have that big of a swing with a jury. Okay. So, it, it's it's really a means of last resort because there are there are so many unknowns. There's a lot of variables. That said, love trial, love being in court, right? That's why I do this. So what is it like, right? So court kind of has a give it a churchy feel to it, and that may be really a byproduct in the fact that at least every court that I've been in has always had what look like church pews. <laughs> um, I, I don't know if there's a, a better, a better way to describe them. I mean, they're just those of you who don't go to church, I suppose. Um, and, and, you know, and at least in the Catholic church, every church I've ever been in has big wooden pews or like benches, right? Big wooden benches. Um, so that's what is, is made up of in the courtroom. So basically you walk in the door and every courtroom is pretty much set up like this. I, I can't think of a courtroom that I've been in that, that doesn't have this type of setup. And the, the door into the courtroom is in the back of the room. You walk in and here's all these pews here, um, benches, pews, uh, whatever you want to call them. And that's for anybody to sit because the reality is court's open, right? Well, okay. Not now because of COVID, but back you know, January, February of 2020, you could walk into any courthouse and walk into any trial. Family law is different. So keep that in mind. Uh, most family law issues are behind closed doors, uh, mostly because uh, of the nature of this type of cases, but everything else doors are wide open, right? You can walk in the door, sit down and watch the trial. That's what those uh, pews and benches are for. Now, if you go all the way to the front row of those, you have, and I believe it's what's called the bar. I believe that's actually, this is actually where the name bar comes from, but there is a wall. Okay. It's usually made of wood and it has a wooden top, usually matches the, um, the, the pews that are behind it. And then there's a door and that's what separates the, essentially the non-lawyers and the lawyers. So when we go in, we walk through the little door that crosses the bar, all right? And that's where we do our work. And generally speaking, okay, and there, there are some generalities in this. Uh, some courtrooms are set up just a little bit differently depending on what their use is. But most, when you walk in, either on the left or the right side of uh, once you cross the bar is a jury box. And once again, you have another bar area, if you will, another you know half wall, basically, that seals off the jury from the rest. So they have, and it's usually an elevated platform. So uh, think of like a movie theater. There's usually two or three different rows, depending on how big it needs to be and depending on the county you're in. And there's just so many different factors that come into it, right? Um, because some counties, voir dire, 
All right. And we're going to get into voir dire on a future podcast. Jury selection uh, happens right within the jury box. Some counties, it all happens in those pews on the other side. So some of that varies. The bigger the jury box, big, large jury boxes usually mean that voir dire is being done right there in that area. Uh, but usually you have a lot of people for that. Uh, I don't know how they're doing it right now. I know trials are happening right now uh, here in Hillsborough County. It's just criminal trials. Uh, so I don't know how they're doing jury selection right now. But back in the day when things were, you know, kind of up and running on a normal basis, large, large jury pools. So like I said, we'll get into that. But then you have a table for the defense and a table for the plaintiff. And that's where you do your work. You spread out you know, hopefully you have a second person with you and that is your office for the next week, maybe week and a half, maybe two weeks, depending on the trial. Uh, personal injury trials generally last about a week. So that is your home from nine to five. Uh, after five, you go home, you get some dinner. And then from about six o'clock till 1am, you're figuring out what happened that day in trial and getting ready for the next day in trial. Uh, I'll tell you, trials are not for the faint of heart because they are long days and uh, long days and long nights. So yeah, you think, oh, nine to five, it's not that bad. I'm in and out, right? Just like the judge is in and out, nine to five, easy work. No, <laughs> not at all. Because guess what? A lot happens. There's a lot of witnesses that come into play and there's things that pop up that no matter how well you prepare for it are going to happen because you're dealing with real people, right? You're dealing with live testimony. You're dealing with things that it's an ever-changing landscape. You don't know the questions that the other side's going to ask. You may think you know, and you can prepare as best as you can for it, but you don't truly know. So that's what that you know, 6 p.m. to 1 a.m. looks like is what happened and how do we get ready? Now, that was an aside from what it actually looks like in the court. But as we move forward, right, in front of you, you'll have a really elevated platform, and that is where the judge sits. And so generally speaking, even though the judge is sitting down and you may, may be standing up, you're looking up to the judge. I'm six feet tall, and I'm always looking up to all of the judges. All right? Now, slightly raised from, from the floor that we would stand on, but a little bit lower than the judge, either on the left or the right side, is the witness stand. And that is exactly what it says it is. And that is where your witnesses for your trial come up and they get sworn in and there's usually water and a microphone and that's where they testify from. And usually on the opposite side of whichever side the witness is on is usually the clerk of court, right? Uh, not the actual head clerk of court, I suppose, maybe if you're in a small county with a single judge, um, but it's usually a deputy clerk, somebody who actually works for the official clerk of the court. Uh, they take in evidence. So a lot of times we have uh, a lot of medical records in personal injury cases. And so our, our evidence is usually paper, but whether it's paper or say you're doing a criminal trial, with a gun, for example, uh, which would be a piece, would not be a piece of paper, right? The clerk will check all of those pieces into evidence, all right? And evidence can actually, evidence that has been admitted in a trial can be brought back with the jury to review while they're deliberating, all right? The opposite, not necessarily the opposite, but a complementary piece to evidence that's been admissive, admissive, admitted, excuse me, is demonstratives. Okay. And demonstratives are things that we can use to show what happened, 
right? But it doesn't go back to the jury to the jury room, okay? So there's your main difference. You may be able to show a lot of different things in trial, right? But only things that have been admitted into evidence can go back to the jury room, right? Now, whatever you show in a demonstrative has to be quote unquote admissible, right? You can't put something up in a demonstrative that is inflammatory or irrelevant, right? And would not otherwise be admissible in court. But um, so for example, uh, you have a, a defendant who's a really bad guy. It's a car crash case. You have a defendant who, you know, really, really bad person, you know, criminal history mile long, and you don't necessarily have a, a reasonable way to get it in to, to, uh, to evidence that this person has a criminal history a mile long. You can't put that up as a demonstrative, right? It's not okay. So it has to generally be admissible. Uh, so that's how that process works. Uh, also, in, in every courtroom I've ever seen, I'm not sure if there's any courtrooms that don't have this, uh, but you have a bailiff. And it's, it's as far as I've ever seen, at least here in Florida, it's always run by the county sheriff's office. So you generally have a deputy who is, who is in there as well. Usually they're assigned to the same courtroom. So you go in and into the same courtroom over and over and over again, and you see the same bailiffs over and over and over again. Uh, I can tell you when I worked at the sheriff's office, I would pick up overtime jobs at the courthouse. Uh, those of you who have been in the courthouse, uh, you may have actually seen me sitting in the perch uh, in Hillsborough County by the exit. And uh, But every once in a while, I'd get assigned to the courtrooms. You would think it'd be more interesting than sitting by the exit. Um, Tell you what, neither one of them are overly interesting on a day-to-day basis, okay? Because they never gave us the good stuff, right? We, Those of us working overtime got the jobs that the regular time bailiffs didn't want. So we'd be sitting in uh, really kind of general motion calendars that were, uh, and I only ever did it was, uh, I believe it was Judge Myers, getting off on a tangent, but I believe it was Judge Myers, who I think is since retired, who was a, a misdemeanor judge. And it was DUI court, basically DUI and, and small criminal traffic. So, um, and it was just a docket usually of 200 things. And it was usually just judge. Can we have a new dispo date? Judge, can we have a new dispo date? Judge, we're ready for trial. Uh, new dispo date judge. Uh, yeah, the state has an announcement. We're going to dismiss. That was it. And it was really that monotone. So imagine spending your entire day sitting through that. Um, but that's what the, the, that is what the bailiffs do on a, on a day-to-day basis. Uh, God bless them for being able to sit through that on an everyday basis because I did it about once a week and couldn't wait to get back on the road. But anyway, that is, is really the setup, right? Now, once we're in the court process, as I mentioned, there's jury selection, right? So that's where we select the jury. And that's actually going to be a a show all in and of itself because it is that detailed. It's kind of fun, actually. Uh, So we'll get into that. Uh, But then you progress through. Actually, one of the pieces in the setup that I forgot, and and it becomes really important in a trial aspect, is there's a podium kind of in the middle. And usually it's movable, which I like when it's movable because, look, it's there's tactics that you can use with the podium. And I had some really good professors at Stetson. Uh, I went to Stetson law. So, um, kind of a little shout out to the professors that I've had at Stetson because great trial advocacy, uh, college and the professors that I ended up having were really good at what they did. Um, I can think of a couple. I, I, I try to avoid mentioning names on the show just because I don't want to offend anybody or anything else, but, um, had some really good takeaways and that podium is actually, when it's movable, it's one of those really great things that 
you can play a little bit of mind tricks with. So really cool there as far as that goes. But how, how does the trial progress, right? Now that we have the setup, we can kind of picture where we are, what we're doing. We've picked our jury. So we have six plus one. We have six jurors plus an alternate, sometimes two alternates depending, right? So we have between seven and eight people sitting in that jury box. All right. We get up and we give an opening statement. And what is an opening statement? It is us telling a story. That's it. There's no law involved in an opening statement. You can't argue the law, right? I, and I don't know, maybe you've seen it on TV, well, the law says this and you, you can't do this and this. Nope. Johnny went to the store. Johnny drove to the store. Johnny rear-ended my client. My client was hurt. My client saw a doctor, right? Now it's more involved than that, right? But that's it. That, that's the basis of it. So that's how those... That's how opening statements look. Then, after that, the plaintiff goes first, right? So the plaintiff calls their first witness. Their first witness goes up to the witness stand, and you do what's called direct examination, meaning that I ask questions. I can't ask leading questions. I can ask, you know, what's your name? What's your title? Do you recall uh, April 1st, 2021? And yes, I do. What do you recall about April 1st, 2021, right? And, and you're really eliciting that story from them because you can't ask leading questions. You can't plant the story. Now, once you start extracting pieces of the, pieces of the story from them, you can start breaking it down in, in direct examination. But it's, it's really more about what that witness has to say and less about what you have to say as the lawyer, right? You ask open-ended questions, let them give the answer, and they're the star of the show, Right. After the plaintiff goes, the defense does cross-examination. Cross-examination is really cool. Uh, I love cross-examination because cross-examination is now all about you as the attorney, right? And it's not from an ego perspective, okay? It's not. It's not that it's, oh, all about me. No, it's all about your ability to take that story and put it in the words that you want it to be told because you can ask leading questions. You can, you can set the stage as you want it to be set. You can plant ideas in that jury's mind the way you want them to be, okay? And I'm not saying that you lie. I'm not saying that you stretch the truth, okay? But it gives the lawyer the opportunity to tell the story the way they want it to be told, not the way the witness wants it to be told, okay? So it's really cool. It's really interesting. Uh, that's really when you really need two people, right, as a trial team, because you have to take that cross-exam, or excuse me, that, that direct examination that just happened, right, and, and use that. So, so you prep for a cross-examination. You know where you want to go, but then you have to use direct because if a question that you want to ask was not what's called within the scope of direct examination and the defense and the other side objects, guess what? The judge isn't going to allow you to ask those questions. So, and within the scope, I mean that it was within the type of question and, and the, the, the content that was asked in direct examination, all right? So that's what cross is. After that, after the plaintiff calls all of their witnesses, does all of their direct examination, plaintiff goes, plaintiff rests, then we move to the defense. Defense does the same thing. Defense does direct examination. Plaintiff does cross-examination. Uh, defense rests. Move on to closing arguments. Now, think about it like this. We have opening statements and closing arguments. And they do exactly what they say is opening statements are stories, 
right? Statements, closing arguments, that's where you get to have some fun. That is where you get to argue the case. The law says this. The law says you can't just run into the back of somebody's car. The defendant said, I wasn't paying attention, right? And you can really hammer those aspects home. You take those aspects from trial that have happened all those other four days before you get to the last day of closing statements and you put it all into one nice, neat, little, concise package. Now, look, I've sat in trials where my co-counsel with me, right? And like I said, as a trial team, only one of us can go at a time. So I'd sit there and I'd sit through hour-long closings and I'd go, my God, I can't keep my eyes open. How is that jury keeping their eyes open for an hour? I like concise, right? I like going... I'm going to get in. I'm going to get out. I'm going to hit all the highlights in about 20, 25 minutes in the closing in the closing argument and move on, right? Now, obviously, if you have to get more in, you get more in, right? And if it takes 30 minutes, it takes 30 minutes. But people have a generally short attention span. And, and that's what's really cool about trials is you, you get to look into these things, right? So, yes, trial is structured, but really you get to take that really structured piece and have a whole lot of fun with it and play a whole lot of games. That's what I love, okay? So... Look, I'm a trial lawyer. I love trial, right? We haven't been able to go to trial in over a year, um, mostly because well, courts are shut down. Um, <laughs> but that's where we are right now. Hopefully, we'll be opening back up soon. I know criminal trials, as I mentioned, are going on here in Hillsborough County. But I hope you all found this informative. Uh, if you have any questions about the process, what the setup is, or anything else, let me know. Drop me an email, lawfather at tampalawfather.com. Shoot me a text at 855-LAWFATHER. There's always Instagram, Facebook. DM me on there. Uh, love to answer any of these questions uh, because you know what? We get to see it on a, on a day-to-day basis, but you as the listeners don't necessarily get to see it or know. You see what's on TV, and what you see on TV doesn't necessarily always match what happens in real life. Okay? So that is the Law Father Show for today. Those of you watching on Instagram, I appreciate you being on Instagram Live. And uh, right here from Law Father Headquarters, Law Father out. I'm Jerry Petuck, CEO of Radio Influence. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thank you for downloading and subscribing to this podcast. There are a lot of people behind the scenes here at Radio Influence that work hard to keep you entertained day in and day out. If you'd like to get involved and advertise on this program, or you have some show ideas that you'd like to see us add to the Radio Influence family, please email us at contact at radioinfluence.com. We all have crazy schedules, so the fact that you took time out of your busy day to let us entertain you for a while means a lot. Without you, the listeners, we wouldn't exist. So thank you again for downloading and subscribing to this show. Don't forget to check out RadioInfluence.com to see what other shows we also have to offer. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and of course, RadioInfluence.com.